Welcome everyone as we will continue through the uh, book of 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 14 to the end of the chapter which is verse 26. Um, now if you don't have your Bible I, I would encourage you to take a moment to grab it or pull it up on your phone um, since I, I would love for you to engage with the text as much as possible as we go through this. Now, before we start reading the verses, what I'd like to do is just take some time to talk about an issue that was prevalent uh, at the church of Ephesus, which is where uh, Timothy is currently. So we see that Paul sent Timothy to the churches at Ephesus. These churches would have um, likely been uh, home style churches, um, at least in part to address false teachers. Now, this was a significant uh, issue that was happening among the churches. And he, and he tells Timothy uh, in chapter 1, verse 3, to remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Now, these false teachers, um, Timothy was supposed to uh, address it back in the time that Paul first wrote to Timothy in the first letter. Uh, and time had passed. I'm not sure how much time exactly, but word would have gone back to Paul um, and he would have been made aware of that these false teachers were continuing in that uh, this heresy was still spreading among the church. Uh, and so um, because of that, it, it caused Paul to write to Timothy again in second in his second letter in 2 Timothy to Timothy um, in regards of how to respond to these false teachers. Now I'd like to just read some of the verses to paint a little bit of a picture about uh, these false teachers. What, what were they doing and what was it what kind of problems was it causing? I'd like to just kind of read some of these to paint a picture of it. Now all of these verses are from First uh, uh, Timothy uh, chapter 1 and chapter 6 mostly, um, but we also see some passages in Second Timothy as well as Titus. Um, and and it, it's in, uh, elsewhere um, in the New Testament, but I'm just going to stick to First Timothy for now. So what were these uh, teachers doing? Well, they were teaching a different doctrine. Chapter 1, verse 3, they devoted themselves to myths and endless genealogies. 1, 4, this uh, promoted speculations. Uh, they do not agree with sound words of Jesus. 6, 3, they do not agree with teachings that accord with godliness. They are puffed up with conceit. They understand nothing. 6, 4, they have an unhealthy craving for controversies and for quarrels about words. And this produces envy and dissension and slander, evil suspicions, constant frictions. They desire to be rich and fall into temptation, which leads to many senseless and harmful desires and plunge people into ruin and destruction. Uh, 6 verses 9 through 10. Now this is a significant issue that was happening uh, in the church um, and Paul even names uh, two of these people. Now who were these false teachers? It's, it's likely that they were actually pastors of these churches or um, in leadership. And, and we don't really know, maybe Paul appointed them or maybe they're self-appointed, we're not really sure, but it, somehow they were leaders in the church and they swerved from the truth and they started believing um, likely some philosophies uh, of the Greek culture and syncretized them with um, some of the teachings of Jesus and they created a new doctrine which is a false gospel. 
Now, two of these people are named in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 20, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Uh, it seems that Paul had uh, addressed them several times, and uh, and they were unrepentant, and so um, he excommunicated them from the church. Uh, from what does that mean? It means to to remove them from the unique uh, fellowship um, that the church members get to have with each other, um, and so. This wording of handing them over to Satan um, is purposeful because they're going to be outside of the community of the church. And we're going to see that the same person, likely, uh, Hymenaeus is not a common name, but so it's likely that this same Hymenaeus is the same one that Paul's referring to in chapter 2 that we read, uh, along with Philetus. He's another person, likely a, a leader as well, who is considered a false teacher. So, as we um, read through these verses, uh, I'd like for you to just keep in mind the reality of these false teachers. And as Paul's writing these things, he's writing them in light of these false teachers. And there's going to be a contrast that we'll see um, that Paul says to Timothy. Timothy, don't do this, but do this. Don't be like this, which is like the false teachers, but rather be like this, which is Christ-like. And so he starts off in verse 14, and I'll start there, so join me, and we'll read all the way through to the end of the chapter, verse 26. So verse 14, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourselves to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is honorable, sorry, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that, the, that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses, and it escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. I think that Paul writes um, in such a way that he's encouraging Timothy and the church, uh, despite the fact that the false teachers, uh, the doctrine may be spreading. And, and why do I say that? Because in verse 14, the first thing Paul says here is remind them of these things. Well, what is these things? Well, the previous three verses, I think, is what it's in reference to. And Jared taught this last time. And if you haven't watched that, I encourage you to, to watch that at some point. 
And it says, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. Verse 12, if we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. I think the thrust of this is that as a believer, we have a future hope. And for those who deny Jesus, there is a grim reality that Jesus is going to deny them. But even if a believer has a moment of weakness or of faithlessness, that God remains faithful. And I think that is a theme that continues in through this uh, chapter to the end uh, um, of the chapter, that God remains faithful. He is the one that is going about to do the work. So Paul is telling Timothy to remind the church of these things and to charge them as if in the presence of God, do not quarrel about words which does no good but only ruins the hearers. The quarreling about words, uh, the fighting of words, uh, this uh, idea of splitting hairs, or just, just getting so caught up in these myths and, and endless genealogies, these word battles, uh, all these things that, that the uh, false teachers participated in uh, was just not for good, but it says, but only ruins the hearers. So Timothy, don't participate in these quarrels and Here's something to do. Don't do that, but do this. Verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. It's the idea of after being tested to be found genuine. Uh, to work in such a way that we can stand before God and not be ashamed of the work that we've done. And specifically, how, how are we to do that? Or how is he encouraging Timothy to do that? By rightly handling the word of truth. So in, um, in correct communication of the truth of the gospel and also by conduct. So don't quarrel, verse 14, uh, verse 15, to present yourself to God, rightly handling the word of truth. 16, avoid irreverent battle, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Irreverent babble um, is also uh, translated as uh, unholy chatter. Don't engage in this unholy chatter, this, um, these endless quarrels, right? This, the same thing over and over again. Don't engage in this. Why? It's going to lead people into more and more ungodliness. There's a progression as they continue in these irreverent battle, this unholy chatter. So don't be like that. Don't participate in this ungodliness as, I love this imagery, it will spread like gangrene. Gangrene is a disease. Um, it's, it's this flesh-eating, spreading type of disease. I, I don't think that Paul had a specific disease in mind, but just something that, that eats away at the flesh, causes necrosis, and continues to spread. And if not taken care of, will we'll just continue and, and destroy the body. And we know that Paul has used uh, this imagery of the church as a body, and, and each member has its um, a role um, in in the body, and so uh, I I love that he's continuing that type of imagery here, and so we we want to treat it as a serious disease. It's not something to be treated lightly. And he names two of these false teachers, Hymenaeus and Philetus. We've we've talked about them briefly, and so Hymenaeus we see in First Timothy, and Philetus he's new. These people in verse 18 they have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. 
they are upsetting the faith of some. Now, this is why is this significant? Well, it's significant because uh, I and what we think happens uh, from from my study is that there, and I mentioned this before, that they were probably leaders of the church and um, had an understanding of the gospel, but then bought into some of this um, philosophical teaching uh, that the Greeks had um, and it's it's possible that um, the teaching that that they bought into um, had to do that the material body was just uh, of, of no use so a, a future bodily resurrection was just of, not of interest to them and somehow because of this um, they just didn't find value in it and it caused them to uh, teach and just be uh, a bit careless about their um, mor their morality. They, they were just indifferent towards immorality. So what that means is that they are participating in um, just um, sins uh, of the flesh that we'll see I think later in, in chapter 3. Um, and the list is pretty pretty long if I remember correctly. Um, and so it says that in First Timothy, uh, sorry, First Corinthians chapter 15. Um, why is this significant that they're teaching uh, that there is no future bodily resurrection of the saints? Well, for 15, First uh, Corinthians 15 verse 12 says, "Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, that not even Christ." has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. It continues on, but the point is is that if they're teaching that there is no future bodily resurrection, well then it's basically saying that not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then the gospel is empty of its power. There is no good news in the gospel. So it's significant that they are sharing this false uh, gospel and these ideas. But even though their talk is spreading like gangrene, verse 19, God's firm foundation stands. Here, here's another, um, another section in which I think Paul is, is encouraging Timothy and the church and encouragement for us. It, despite this reality, God's firm foundation stands. Bearing this seal that the Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now, what's going on here? So when Paul's referring to the foundation, I, it, it could be that, um, that it's in reference to maybe uh, Jesus as the cornerstone um, and, and the uh, apostles and prophets um, have been known to, to be identified as a foundation according to Ephesians 2 chapter uh, chapter 2 verse 20 um, but or and also maybe the church um, in in uh, Timothy for Timothy I believe um, that it, the church is the pillar and support of the truth of the gospel but what I see here I, it seems to me that there's a little bit of a focus on the individual um, within the church so I think that it's the individuals um, that are firmly elect, not swayed by the heretical teaching. I think those make up the foundation. Now it says, now this firm foundation has a type of seal on it. 
Now, back then, uh, it was common for the owner to place a seal, uh, some sort of inscription, a word, something that would identify the property um, and, and who owns it. So if God's placing his, his uh, seal, his motto, and he's, he's uh, affirming his authenticity that he is the owner of this foundation. Now let's see what these um, sayings are. The first one is, the Lord knows who are his. This is in reference to Numbers chapter 16. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, in Numbers chapter 16, there was uh, a rebellion that took place. So there was uh, Korah and 250 other uh, leaders inside the nation of Israel that rose up against Moses. And um, in, in this story... They confront Moses in 16 verse 5. Moses said to Korah and all of his company, In the morning, Yahweh will show who is his and who is holy and will bring him near to him. The one whom he chooses, he will bring near to him. So this is in reference to this, this situation that happened in which there were leaders that um, that rose up against Moses and wanted more, basically. And Moses says, "Okay, in the morning, God's going to discern, and He's going to He's going to show who are His, who are known to Him, and He's going to separate them." And guess what happens? So, all the people that were in rebellion were grouped together, and God opens up the floor, and the people fall in there, and all of their possessions. God knows who are his. That is the story that Paul has in mind as, as he's writing this. So that's one of the mottos that are on the seal, that the Lord knows who are his. He knows who they are. And the second one, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Those who are named, those are who are elect, those who are al those that align themselves. Ugh bit myself. Those who align themselves with God are going to depart from iniquity, to shun away from it, turn away from sin. Now Paul transitions to a metaphor and he's going to start with a big house. Now in this, this great house there are vessels uh, that are of gold and silver and these are designed to be uh, for honorable use and there's also those that are of wood and clay and these are for dishonorable use. An example of an honorable use might be for uh, serving food on to your guests. Um, an example of dishonorable use might be uh, to remove the trash or remove excrements. And so the appeal here is um, that the saints are to uh, want to be um, a vessel that is used for honorable use. You don't want to be uh, a vessel used for dishonorable use. And uh, as we play out the metaphor, uh, the saints are going to be um, having a desire to be used for the purpose of good and those that um, are teaching heresy and these false teachers are likely um, ones that are being used for dishonorable use. So now in light of that, Timothy verse 21, uh, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful for the master of the house, ready for every good work. So how do you um, be a vessel for honorable use? Well, you cleanse yourself from what is dishonorable. Uh, and at least what this uh, text is saying to uh, turn away from the ways of these heretical teachers. Turn away from their doctrine, turn away from their conduct, uh, rid yourself of that type of lifestyle. And 
And, and as you do that, you will be a vessel for honorable use. And you will be set apart as holy, sanctified is, a, is the word used there. Useful to the master, ready for every good work. That is should be the desire desires of our hearts for those who are saints and follow Jesus. We want to be vessels that are used for honorable purposes, ready for the master to use for any good work he has prepared. So flee youthful passions, better translated, is probably free flee from evil desires uh, that stem from youth. The question's been asked is, is this something that, is there something that Paul is trying to address specifically in Timothy's life? And, and I don't think so. It doesn't seem so obvious. If he is, it's something that is subtle. But it seems that maybe um, Paul is writing to address specific um, youthful, evil desires that he sees um, the heresies are demonstrating in their character. So maybe a youthful, evil desire for um, riches or for power or or just to be about uh, argumentation and endless um, word battles. But I don't think it stops there. I think it is wide um, and a long list could qualify under um, youthful, evil desires. Um, and so I, uh, yeah, I, I would just encourage us to um, not think of it in a limiting factor, but just an open and wide um, category where many different sins could fit under this um, this umbrella category. So we are called to flee from evil desires that, that stem from youth, and instead we are called to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, have nothing to do with foolish or ignorant controversies. Now, again, it's bringing up this idea of the, this endless chatter, this idea of um, foolish or ignorant controversies is uneducated or uninformed type of controversies. Don't even engage, um, have nothing to do with these. Why? Well, because you know that the breed quarrels, and we know from an earlier passage that this, these quarrels just end uh, in ruin for the hearers and just for no good. And, and rather, we are called to be vessels um, that are prepared for honorable use, not for dishonorable use. And participating in foolish and ignorant controversies would be considered a type of dishonorable use. So, so have nothing to do with these. And verse 24, the Lord's servant... Now here, Paul, it seems, is making a little bit of a shift. The, the idea of Paul's servant is like a, a slave to the Lord, in doulos, um, a bondservant, a slave. Paul calls himself uh, a servant of the Lord, a slave to God. It is a title that has often been uh, called of pastors and leaders. So it seems that Paul is making a little bit of a shift here, trying to ad address a little bit of a focus specifically for those who are the Lord's servants. But I don't think it's just a limiting, uh, limited to just those that are pastors or in leadership capacity, uh, because I do think that um, leadership is called to be Christ-like, and every member of the church is called to uh, follow um, in their pastor's footstep at, in their pursuit of being Christ-like. So we are all called to be Christ-like. And so this is something that I think is especially needs to be true for those who are pastors um, and those who are other members of the church. It is encouraged to grow in these areas as well. So I think verse 24, uh, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, a big distinction between a false teacher. A false teacher loves to be uh, about quarrels. Um, a Lord's servant it must not be quarrelsome. 
but called to be kind to everyone and able to teach. Able to teach, this is a distinction between um, a deacon and an overseer or an elder. Uh, an overseer and elder must have the ability to teach correctly handling the truths of scripture and patiently enduring evil. Verse 25, correcting his opponents with godly, oh, sorry, correcting his opponents with gentleness. As the uh, Lord's servant is called to just stand up, be completely different than uh, the ways of a false teacher. A false teacher wants to just engage in controversies and quarrels and argumentation and just getting caught up in this, and they think that is a form of godliness but rather we are called to be uh, kind to everyone, not resentful. We, we are called to teach uh, accurately the truth of Scripture, uh, to patiently endure evil, and uh, when the opportunity arises to correct um, those opponents with gentleness. And by doing so, God may perhaps grant them repentance. And this repentance might lead to a knowledge of the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do God's will. I think this is really important uh, topic here because it's going back to the sovereignty of God. Who's the one that's in control here? Well, God is. But God is using his vessels of honor in part of the process of bringing people to come to a knowledge of him. This is so crucial because if we talk about how God uh, knows who are his uh, from even before the foundation has been created. Their names are written in the book of life. And it can lead to a bit of complacency if you have a false understanding. Well, if God knows who's going to be saved, then there's nothing that I need to do. Well, here's, here's the opposite, right? If we see that God uses his honorable vessels for a good work. And so when this honorable vessel goes and correctly teaches and is kind and is gentle and is teaching the truth to opponents, which could be these false teachers, it could be those who uh, were affected by false teaching, it, it maybe it could even mean um, anyone who's just under the, the blindness and, and darkness of sin, right? As we go to them and share with them the, the truth of Jesus, God may grant them a mind of repentance. They may be freed from the snare of the devil and um, align themselves to Jesus and want to participate in, in his kingdom. And they might want to cleanse themselves from dishonorable use and may want to be uh, a vessel used for honorable use. And I think that's really encouraging for us as a body to be reminded of. God uses us in the um, repentance of others to, as they come to know Jesus. So in conclusion, we see that God is sovereignly in control of the advancement of his gospel as he is saving people. He has uniquely uh, called us to proclaim the gospel, um, not only through accurate teaching, but also through our conduct of having gentleness and patience and kindness to everyone. Uh, we are called to turn away from uh, dishonorable use, which is um, 
conducting ourselves in a similar way to the false teachers who were about controversies and endless toxin genealogies uh, and rather um, cleanse ourselves from that which also includes to turn away from youthful passions uh, youthful evil desires uh, that can stem from youth and can can continue in our adult lives so we turn away from all sin all iniquity um, that we might be um, a vessel that is prepared that has been cleansed that has been sanctified prepared for uh, good works um, that the master has in store for us